0: to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Hello and welcome to the Cricket Collective on Talk sport 2. I'm John Norman and today bringing you a very special show, one that plays homage to... And celebrates the arrival on our shores of a group of people who gave up everything to start up a new life in the UK and despite often facing extreme prejudice that continues sadly to this day they brought with them a new way of life full of vim, verve and vigour
1: down the way where the nights are gay and the Sun shines daily on the mountaintop. top I took a trip on a sailing ship and when I reached Jamaica I made a stop but I'm sad to say I'm on my way Won't be back for many a day, my heart is down, my head is turning around I had to leave a little girl in Kingston
2: town It was 22nd of June 1948 when the Empire Windrush arrived at Tilbury Docks in Essex It contained hundreds of men and women from the Caribbean who'd answered an advert to come and live and work in Britain and help the country rebuild after the devastation of the Second World War. Those on the empire and the many boats that followed didn't always get that friendly welcome they were hoping for. Racism was rife and many found it hard to get proper jobs and to be accepted by the majority white British population. Imagine being denied entry to pubs, clubs, and even churches. That is discrimination they faced. It wasn't easy for children either. Many were bullied at school because of the color of their skins. Even in my generation now, I was bullied at school because of the color of my skin, but I learned how to box.
3: Now winning the right to fight for the English Super Middleweight crown from Croydon, London, Leon, Big
2: Mac, McKenzie. It's not been an easy road since, but the remarkable contribution of the Windrush generation and its descendants should be celebrated. From the teachers, musicians, politicians, to the world boxing champions, cricketers, comedians, award-winning actors, the gold medalists, to the Premier League winners. The list is endless. It's a legacy this country should embrace and be proud of.
1: This is explosive stuff here from Lennox Lewis. Radic is looking for Angus to try and explode his bombs, but it's all Lewis, and he's got it again! A good ball there for Barnes. Now can he take Leandro? John Barnes now. He might go all the way for England, Barnes! scored, And England amazingly are into the
2: lead! It's important we honour this contribution and keep their legacy alive for future generations and that we all can celebrate the diversity of Britain's history.
0: Fellow South Londoner, former boxer, Leo Mackenzie there. And whilst British boxing and football has certainly been improved, wonderful memories evoked listening back to those commentary clips, no sport has the cultural and social links to the Windrush generation, than our great game of cricket.
4: That's up in the air. He's getting under it. This could be victory. It is Pakistan win the World Cup. A magnificent performance in front of 87,000 people.
1: Well, there you go. Four runs. It's not quite where he intended.
0: 99 not out. It's Tudor. And he gets a stump. And so he should. And so today's show is about reflecting that because I, like many of you, can remember exactly where I was when Devon Malcolm tore through the South Africans at the Oval in 1994, when England fell at the final hurdle in Melbourne in 1992, and when Alex Tudor ended one run short at Edgbaston in 1999. And plenty more moments like these that would never have happened without the Windrush generation. I'm very familiar with Talksport. Talksport two listeners uh, joins us now. Alex Tudor, man who was part of our tour of the Caribbean in 2019. He couldn't hide his disappointment when I had to tell him that the limited over series didn't stop off in Barbados, uh, meaning he couldn't uh, couldn't visit the family. He couldn't bring us with him. That's a, that's another shame. But uh, yeah, Tudor uh, obviously born and raised in the UK, played for England, but uh, very strong links back to the mother country, Barbados, where I believe your family, or rather your mum and dad, have actually moved back to.
5: Yeah, yeah, my both both mum and dad um, are born and raised in Barbados. They came to England in the 60s, early 60s, it was sort of the windrush times. Obviously, the jobs at that time the government were given were a lot in the NHS. So my mum was a nurse. A lot of my aunts, who um, also came on my dad's sisters, they were all nurses as well. My dad worked for London Transport for 30 plus years. So they, you know, they came here and, and worked extremely hard. Um, you know, they lived there for 50 plus years. And about eight years or so ago, they, they, they went back went back to Barbados. They built a house and and went back. And I think that was something that, that was always going to happen. They were going to come here, raise kids. And then I think once they retire, it was always going to sort of end up back in the tropics.
0: Give us um, an idea of just how proud they must have been and the family in general um, after sacrificing so much to see their son play for England.
5: Yeah, I think... Especially for my dad, don't get me wrong, mum as well, she wasn't really sort of, not say she wasn't bothered because she she was, but it really once I sort of, it became more serious. So when I went to the MCC ground staff first and then went on to Surrey, but my dad, you know, absolutely loves his cricket, Mal West Indian, all those times. I mean, that generation of West Indian, they all loved cricket. They all grew up on it. Sir Gary Sobers was his hero and... Obviously, being Barbadian as well, that helped. But he absolutely loved it. And he had trials for Barbados. But my grand at the time didn't really want him to go down that route. And that's when he decided to, to come to England. But, you know, my dad, all his friends and family, they, they absolutely loved their cricket. And he, from a young age, he was always saying to his mates, um, my boy's going to play, my boy's going to play. And they're like, oh, whatever. Because when I used to go and watch my dad, and and, I, and we can talk about the times when so... London Transport, they had a serious team. Like, a lot of those guys, I feel, could have played professional cricket. They were very good, um, scored a lot of runs and wickets, played good standard of cricket. But um, when I used to go, my brother and I used to go, all we used to do was kick a ball. So we used to kick a ball. So they all thought, ah, you know, a cricket ball will come out, I'd kick that as well. And they were like, your boy's not going to play cricket. He's going to, you know, he'll play football. So when I turned professional, they were all like, what? Tudor's son, couldn't have, you know he, he, not that he didn't show any interest, but he used to kick the ball all the time, so my dad was proud as punch, and you know uh, for me to, you know dawn the free lines, he, he, he was so, so proud, you know, all that um, as you say, that sacrifice that he, he had to put in, as I say, with transport, my older brother used to play as well, when he had to divide his time, you know, to go on take my brother to the game and when he couldn't someone a, 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 a teammate's parent would take me and vice versa and he'll be all over the country and you know take rest days and, and all this type of thing and having to do extra time so he was able to take especially on a Sunday to all these cricket games and it seems that like all that hard work sort of paired, paired through it's you know just a shame my brother wasn't able to continue his professional career because at a very early age at sorry he had a double stress fracture and that sort of stopped that sort of stopped him, which was a shame because I think he would have gone into bigger, better things than, than, I, than I did because he was an outstanding young cricketer. And it's just a shame that his body at that time wasn't able to keep up with it.
0: And now, of course, uh, the professional career behind you, but you're still working and living in the UK. And. Uh, you know, from your parents, bus driver and uh, and uh, nurse, much like uh, your aunts and uncles, but, you know, you're, you're teaching at a public school. I mean, it just shows how far things have come in, in the, the 50 or 60 years or so since the Windrush generation first touched down in this part of the world.
5: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I know my parents were really proud of, you know, what I'm doing now, as you say, in, in the public sector of schools and... and um, you know, just giving back. I've always, I've always loved coaching Johnny. Even that sort of during my career, I just, I just loved, you know, seeing kids with a smile on their face playing a game that I love, and, and their enthusiasm, and, and just seeing them out there, you know, bat, ball, fielding, whatever it was. And I always remember when we were the first inductees um, of the academy when we used to, go out to Adelaide. It was like Flint, Freddie, Strauss, Wayshar, and and all of us, Harmison we all went out there and um, the opportunity arose where we were able to take a few of our badges and, and we did that. So when I came back from there during the winter breaks, so I would go into schools and, and, and just see, can I do this? And I just used to just have a good rapport with these kids and just see them with big booming smiles, see this big black guy come through their doors and um, just have an understanding. I'm a big kid myself and just be level with them, tell them the truth. As you say, you know, don't lie to these kids. You just you tell it how it is. And just be truthful to them, and I think they respected that, and we just had fun and we just used to just have fun, and I used to get my massive fulfillment these guys and girls you know running around with a smile on their face just just playing a game that I absolutely love and you know I'm very fortunate now where i you know I work at Kim Bolton and I'm able to uh, to help these kids you know and it's not even just cricket it's just life skills really just you know just talking to them because you know this generation of of children you know for me. You know, it's all very computerized and there are iPads and, you know, trying to get some of these kids to do some, you know, physical training, sometimes hard work. But, you know, once they do that and they understand, um, you know, whatever you do in life, if you work hard, hopefully you'll get the rewards. And, you know, once you get through to them, there's nothing more pleasing. And when they come back and they say, sir, thanks for pushing me and, and all that type of thing, it's absolutely fantastic.
0: That's fantastic stuff. Uh, changing lives, I suppose, in, uh, in ways that you did as a player, but uh, maybe a little bit uh, more uh, hands-on and you can see the effects, really. But that's fantastic. And we're gonna look back at the way that uh, Alex Tudor um, was a role model in very different ways on The Cricket Collective, looking back at some of his career highlights. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2.
3: Wowee, Alex Tudor, Caribbean style. That's away, behind point this time, four more. Tudor standing tall. It's a terrific shot. Away past gully, another Tudor boundary. This is England's night watchman. That's a big enough shot. It's a very powerful struck. Yes. That's uh, through extra cover. Well, it's a lovely, uncomplicated attitude to battle from uh, Alex Tudor We're on 65 in the first hour this morning. In uh, a fashion not dissimilar to that, another cracking square cut from Alex Tudor brings four more. Alex Tudor, what? Leary Constantine. Oh, super stroke! Look at that again through the offside by Alex Tudor. Whoa! Up and over the top. Four more. No third man. It's a great shot, isn't it? That's a beautiful shot
0: from uh, Alex Tudor, and that'll take him to win within three runs of a half-century.
3: Well, without doubt, he's been, for me, the batsman of the match. It's another beautiful shot. Can't cut it off, it's four for Tudor, and a first Test match half-century. It is uh, an extraordinary display. That's over mid-on. That is a very high-class shot by Alex Tudor. It brings up the 50 partnership between himself and Nasser Hussain. Well, he's struck twelve our boundaries, but I think this is the best of them. He's in uncharted territory now. Oh, beautiful shot. Well played. Flipping like tall nails, there it is again. Smashed away off the back foot. Another a brilliant stroke from uh, Alex Tudor. The 150's up. Oh, whipped away. Oh, that's the shot of the game. What a brilliant effort. And a bowing to him. Say it again, this is England's number nine. Wow. <laughs>
1: this is treated with absolute contempt.
4: Well, Thanks, Tudor thank
1: you very much. Well, there you go. Four runs,
0: it's not quite where he uh, intended. 99, not out. That's well, Tudor. And he gets a stump, and so he should. Great stuff. Well done, young man. It's a day to remember.
5: And believe me, you'll remember it for a long time. Soldier you family.
0: You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. I'm John Norman. Joined um, for the next ten minutes or so by Alex Tudor. We've heard about the past in terms of uh, how he came about uh, to be... Uh, applying his trade in the UK um, and some of the sacrifices that his parents went through after moving from Barbados uh, in the 60s. Uh, what a proud day it would have been for uh, Pa Tudor when you made your uh, debut. Did he stay up? Did he come out to Perth, Tudes, um, yeah. with the family watching back home when you, uh, you played your first Test match? In, and it was in an Ashes Test as well. I mean, tell us a little bit about what that meant for you and the family.
5: Yeah, well, it was it was things of dreams, John, because, you know, it was, you know, 98, the year before England had gone to the West Indies. Ashley Cowan was the young, fast bowler then who who went on tour. And um, at that time, they used to take a young bowler just to be in and around the experience. And, and obviously, they felt that they might be the next kid off the rank. And my opportunity came. I hadn't played a lot of first-class cricket when it came. I remember Andrew Caddock got 100 first-class wickets that year and didn't make the tour, and Caddy has a bit of a laugh with me now saying that I took his spot, and I'm like, Caddy, I was sort of 21 years old. I I didn't take your spot, mate. I think maybe that might have been someone like Dean Headley or whoever. That wasn't me. I was the young lad, but... Um, yeah, my parents were always going to come, but generally at that time, parents, family, girlfriends, whatever, wives, the kids, they used to come Christmas time. So we were in Melbourne, you know, so Christmas, New Year, they would come for that, Melbourne, Sydney. So... I at no stage or anyone at that time would have thought, you know, this young lad is going to be making his debut in the second Test match, which was in Perth. So they weren't due to come out. But um, Alex Stewart, who you would know obviously very well, being a Surrey, mad Surrey fan yourself, Johnny, um, he was captain at the time, but he was a bit conflicted in who to pick between me and Dean Headley. He did not know. So um, I had the worst night's sleep. Um, ever leading up to that game at Perth. Dean being a senior bowler wanted to know, but Alec just, he said, I, I can't tell you, Dean, I, I, I need to sleep on it. So I'd phone my parents saying, look, there's a chance I might play or I might not and Dad obviously just said, wish the best. You know, sorry, we, we can't be there, um, but if you get your opportunity, just go out there and, and relax and go out and show you what you could do. And then in the morning, Alec came up to me at the ground and I said, congratulations, young man, you're going to be making your debut. And it was all a bit surreal, Johnny, because I'm thinking, hang on a minute, I've got, you know, Nasser Hussain, Atherton, all these guys I used to watch as a young lad, you know, when BBC used to show it all, all the cricket. And you'd be thinking, you know, one day that could be me. And all of a sudden, I'm in the same team as these guys, not only in the squad, but in the 11. And I'm making my debut against absolute legends on the other side. You know, the War Brothers, Healy, you know, McGrath, Gillespie. It was, you know, you just you can reel the names off, you know, Langer, all these guys that I've been watching as a young kid. All of a sudden, I'm in the same Mark Taylor. I'm um, I'm in a Test match against these guys. It was like a pinch yourself moment. Is this really happening? Um, and I just remember, we, I, I don't know if we won the toss, whether We batted, and um, I was in just after lunch because, as always, in the, in the 90s, we weren't very good, and 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 they had, you know, I think uh, Gillespie and Fleming McGraw were sorting us out, and I had to go in. And what made me relax a little bit? I got 18 not out. So that made me relax, thinking, oh, right, I can do this. I'm playing against, you know, some of the world's best cricketers. I'm I'm, I'm able to, you know, stand up here and, and, and sort of compete. And then my chance came to bowl, and I think I bowled a maiden to Mark Taylor, and that just settled my nerves. And then we just got into it and, you know, ended up getting four for on debut was, was something else. It was, you know, if any young fast bowler at that time wanted to make his debut, it would want to be Perth. You know, the hardest wicket in world cricket, it, the bounce was so good, and keeper and the slip stand is so far back you felt like you're in the clouds and yeah it was a fantastic feeling and as you say the sort of euphoria I suppose at that time you know they were looking for a young fast bowler and I'd got these four wickets so it's sort of all this sort of expectation I suppose um had had come after after that game
0: yeah, four. I mean, look, when you're looking at the, uh, the the names of the victims, the War Brothers and Ricky Ponting. That's uh, three of the four. Uh, that's a pretty good way to start. You didn't play the, the next test. Dean Headley was brought back for that, wasn't he? And that's yeah. the England won that test match. Uh, so I suppose Alec knew what he was doing, didn't he? You got four for a debut and then uh, brought back Headley, who swept through the Aussies at Melbourne, and then brought you back at, uh, at Sydney. Yeah. Um, but it was a, it was a bit stop-start, wasn't it, with you? Did you ever feel like you got
5: a proper run? Was and if not, was that it was, down to it the wasn't, injury, it wasn't through, injuries? Yeah, it was. It was just the injuries, John. It was just the injuries that sort of, you know, just got in the way of what I, I'm hoping would have been a, you know, a fantastic international career. Because I felt like I was able to. When I did play, I don't thought i let anyone down. Don't get me wrong, I've had I've had bad days, but everyone does in international sport. You know, you're going to have bad days. It's not just going to be this crest of a wave and everything's going to go, well, you're going to have lulls. So, you know, getting lashes against the Indians over here and, um, you know, so bowling to Dravid, Tendulka, Ganguly, all these guys, geez, that was hard work. And then, you know, the Australian side in 2001 you know, that was hard work again. So I've had bad days, but I just felt if the injuries didn't come about when they did, how many games would I have been able to play 50 test matches? And, you know, how many wickets would I have been able to get? And and that type of thing. So that does go through my mind a lot, but it is what it is. They were the cards I was dealt, you know, to even for a young black lad from South London that went to a pub, you know, uh, an independent, uh, not independent, public school, you know, was, you know, it never really happened. A lot of the guys that I played with or whatever, they all got, you know, private education or they got scholarships or whatever. Um, And that never really happened um, for me. It was a lot of hard work and and, and just showing that you're able to, to play with these great players. And, you know, I wouldn't take anything back. I mean, the injuries I've had, they weren't like little minor injuries. They were like major injuries. I've had four knee operations, you know, broken pelvis metatarsal, torn shoulder, um, broken rib. You can't bowl with these injuries. And the one thing that used to disappoint me, though, is when you hear, um, you know, sort of ex-players and, and people that don't really know what's going on sort of say, oh, he only wants to play when he's 100% fit or, you know, all he needs to do is pop a pill and get on with it. It it wasn't that type of an injury. That it was like an inflammatory problem where I could, you know, have an anti inflammatory and, and it will sort that or just mask that injury and, and, and get me through the game. It wasn't that, it was major problems that sort of stopped me from and doing what I could do. So yeah, it, it was disappointing. I know there was a lot of frustration from people because, you know, they mostly saw me and thought, you know, this boy can play, he's useful, but only when you know only when he's on the park. So, you know, that was the most probably one of the most frustrating things were, were the injuries that are, I picked up along the way during my career. And I
0: suppose from your family's perspective, not being given the opportunity to play against the West Indies, that, that would have been something special if, uh, if, it was, uh, if it could have happened.
5: Yeah, Dad always says, I mean, the closer I got is when I went on a England A tour, we, we played in the Buster Cup. We were invited to play in the Buster Cup and we played out there. I was able to play in, in Barbados. I mean, half the stand had my family in it. Um, so that was nice, but not to play against, you know, the greats, you know, your Ambrose, your Walsh, your Laris, your Chanderpals and, and stuff um, for the West Indies. I know that would have made my dad prouder prouder punch. He, he always says, son, look, you're my son. I'd obviously want you to do well, but I'd want you to get beat. <laughs> again, <laughs> again, but any other result involving England, my dad is 100% wants England to do well, but just, you know, obviously that's his, that's his background, that's his heritage, the West Indies, my mum, dad, they're mad West Indians. They would want me to do well, so, you know, pick up for or get a few runs or whatever, but they would want us to get beat. You know, it's, it's just, I, I think about the times now where, you know, and I've been watching a few of the old footages and stuff and, you know, listening to Michael Holden where, you know, that 76 side came over and, you know, the, they, at the beginning, didn't, feel the importance, but the importance of the West Indians that were hit, living here at the time, you know, when they used to go to work and they can brag to their friends, we're beating you, we're dominating you, was a complete change. So, you know, England, West Indies going through their doldrums in the last, I don't know, 20 years or so, it's been really hard for my dad and that generation of cricket fan to see them, you know, not going through. I mean, don't get me wrong, they've had a few... Pick me ups in the 2020 and winning the ICC Champions trophy. Um, I think it was two thousand and four or whatever it was. Um, if people can remember, is it Courtney Brown, not Courtney Brown it was um, Bradshaw hitting that cover drive through the covers and the West Indies winning in the dark. I mean my parents were over the moon, were still here in England at the time, and they absolutely loved it. you know they can keep their heads high and and their chests proud and you know and that's what West Indies cricket did for that you know that those generation of people that came over, it made them feel important in England Um, so as I said the reverse is with England when West Indies were going through their doldrums it was was a very depressing place for a lot of them and they would get annoyed Um, but as you say you know, in life things go up and down you always ain't going to be at the top but I think it was just the way they were losing was quite disappointing for them
0: well, it's uh, it's a shame to finish things uh, on a bit of a low note for the West <laughs> Indies, but I suppose they did beat England, didn't they? The last time England were out there, and England haven't beaten the West Indies in West Indies since two thousand and three oh four. So, maybe we're going to see uh, a little bit of return to the golden days. But uh, <laughs> Tudes, thanks so much for joining us on the Cricket Collective. Great to just to dip into the memories. Um, and just reflect on, uh, you know, just uh, where your family have started out from, where they are continuing to go to. And uh, it'll be uh, yeah, just brilliant memories, I suppose.
5: No, I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for having me on. And yeah, just looking forward to seeing some cricket on the box um, and, and through the airways very, very soon. And um, hopefully that will just uh, keep a few people just a little happier.
0: Brilliant stuff. Uh, Alex Tudor joining us here on TalkSport2 on the Cricket Collective. truly the best place to be a cricket fan What a great delivery, left arm round the wicket Alan Lamb has been cleaned up perhaps so too
4: England
2: It's going to go all the way, very available runs for England and in this match still they'll go right down to the wire here it in the air. Surely this must be out. Keeper coming around. Mohan no
4: Khan. He's got it. That could be the World Cup. That's up in the air. He's getting under it. This could be victory. It is. Pakistan win the World Cup. A magnificent performance in front of 87,000 people. Imran Khan has led his side to victory. What a great victory!
0: You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, John Norman. We've heard from Alex Tudor, still to come on the show, uh, Devon Malcolm. But uh, for the next 10 minutes or so, absolutely delighted to say that Philip Defratus joins us to look back at 1992 when uh, England fell at the final hurdle, uh, reaching the final of the World Cup. And there's uh, there's a few what-ifs along the way. Um, an infamous rained out uh, and abandoned match against the team that ended up uh, beating us. Um, at the MCG earlier on in the piece but uh, what a side um, and it really littered by uh, some very very familiar names even to this day one of them Philip De joins us now to look back at uh, a wonderful campaign uh, Phil um, thanks for joining us on the Cricket Collective you of course uh, were born um, in uh, Dominica I believe uh, came over to England uh, age seven Represented England in uh, One Day Cricket and, of course, the Test arena. Just give us an idea about what it was like. I know that uh, rooming with Ian Botham was uh, um, a, a bit of a, a pinch me moment when you made a debut for the England side. But that was uh, that was quite a, a, an England squad that you were playing and part of back in '92.
3: Yeah, it certainly was. We were, a, you know, we were a fantastic side, really. I mean, you sort of look back and you thought, what a great side we were. Um, and the only side I think, you know, obviously, you know, which was much better, which obviously one step, they went one step further, was the last year with our England side, which I felt was um, an outstanding team. And, uh, and they was they were so rewarded with the World Cup. Um, but 92, um, you know, we started off with a bang. We played really well. Um, we, we felt that we could go all the way and win the World Cup. Um, unfortunately, as you mentioned, uh, the Adelaide game against Pakistan where, you know, we had them on the ropes and uh, uh, they were very fortunate uh, to get a sort of rained off at one point, uh, which uh, saw them go through and um, eventually met them in the final. And uh, But as, you know, the World Cup, you know, we peaked so early, we were, you know, we were you know doing extremely well. And then towards the sort of quarterfinal, semifinal, we had a couple of niggles, you know, injuries. Uh, we bit a little bit. Uh, but we still felt com- you know, confident, you know, sort of to win the World Cup in '92. You know, but uh, unfortunately, you know, some fantastic batting from Inderman, uh Imran, and Javed, and then um, you know, a fantastic spell of bowling from Wazim Akram and kept to it. So, uh, but you know, it was a great tournament. It was, a fan- you know, it was a fantastic World Cup. And-, and congratulations to Pakistan. They, you know, obviously won
2: it
0: much was said about the uh, 2019 vintage um the multicultural side uh, a couple of players of uh, you know as a multi-faith side captain born in ireland um uh, but looking back at the uh, the team that took to the field in that first odi against uh, india six players were born outside the uk it was uh, it was as multicultural a time for england in 92 as it as it appears to be in 2019
3: yeah, I don't think it's been any difference, really. I mean, from, from when I first made my debut, uh, it's about, you know, sort of, you know, you want to represent England, you're proud to represent England. And that, yeah, there are people, you know, different players from different cultures, but uh, at the end of the day, we all uh, are proud to play for England, and, that, and that's what it's about. And, the, 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 you know, the change room, you know, the team we had, uh, everyone got on, everyone, you know, it was great. And uh, we had one ultimate goal, really, was try and win the World Cup.
0: So you, you, first match was against India, um, England winning that by nine runs. A good India side as well, and, and of course had won the World Cup uh, uh, in the pre- previous uh, ten years or so. You know, you've got Ravi Shastri, Mohamed Azuddin, Sachin Tendulkar, Kapil Dev was still playing then as well. Um, second game, a, a comprehensive win over the West Indies. Then that third match against Pakistan, which was abandoned. Um, you took two wickets in your first over, I think, Ramiz Raja and Inzamar Amul Haq. But it was a fourth match against Australia, England winning by eight wickets. Uh, for, for many, when you think of the glory days of Ian Botham, well, Sir Ian Botham, you know, you think of the late 70s and, and the 80s, don't you? But he was a, still a real force. Uh, in 1992, took a was opening the batting and of course um, taking big wickets as well with with the with ball in hand. You know, he was still a massive presence. He must have been a, a massive presence within the side and a, and a great guy to to play alongside.
3: Yeah, I mean, sort of. I was very fortunate. You know, you, you know, if you look back, uh, I made my debut in 1986, 87 on the Ashes tour to Australia. And, uh, obviously, my uh, my first roommate was Ian Botham. You know, he's one of my heroes, basically. You, you know, you're looking at the people like Viv, Malcolm Marshall, uh, Botham, Lamb, Gower. All these guys were my heroes, you know. Yeah. And suddenly, you, you're playing with them. And then, you know, I'm playing in 92, the World Cup. You know, Botham and the batting. And, and he's present on the field was, you know, it was incredible. And, uh, yeah, you know, it, it made the side. I mean, um, both and Gucci opening the, the batting and uh, it, it just got a, you know us off to a flyer, basically. And you are right, he was still performing and and, and he was a fa- fantastic and a great member of the, of the side.
0: The game that made everybody stand up and take notice, I mean, to beat Australia in their own backyard so comprehensively in a World Cup, um, or, or are we just looking back and it was actually other games uh, just getting past South Africa in the group stages as well? I mean, at what point do you think that England almost became favourites to win the World Cup or certainly were being talked about as as real contenders?
3: I, I think after, after that uh, Australia victory uh, in Sydney, um, it was one of the most you know, in, in, incredible sort of atmosphere I've played in. Um, it felt like a final itself, really, actually singing the national anthem to start off with. And uh, we had such great support there. Um, we all sang along and, you know, and... It was, it was a great feeling. I remember, I, you know, I might have been stood next to Neil Fairbrother and was singing loud and, we, you know, we felt we felt the support behind us. And we performed and we ended up performing. And, you know, it was a great performance. And I think after that performance, um, you know, people, I think, you know, sort of thought we would be favourites to go on and win it. Uh, but as you well know, I mean, it's, uh, it's all right getting to the semis. But the, the main thing is, is to win the final. That, that final basically and unfortunately we fell
0: short of that yeah they do say it's not how you start a, a tournament it's how you finish and i suppose that uh, was played out in the end but um a big win against south africa shortly after that one despite south africa being 151 with that loss at one point england just squeezing home another one game that was like the semi-final affected by rain and then things just started to um fall away a little didn't they it was new zealand that finished top of the group they actually comfortably beat england by seven wickets and then a very famous win for zimbabwe um by nine runs which really made the, the name of edo brandis in this part of the world but you mentioned at the start was it injuries just started to take hold uh were england running out of steam a little bit what what do you put those two l- defeats down to
3: yeah it was a little bit really i i just felt uh, we had sort of we picked up a few niggles uh one or two players uh, struggled with a few injuries um, and obviously we had those uh, two lost games, in which sort of threw us off uh, momentum a little bit, really. Um, and then we had to obviously pick ourselves up for the semi-final. And then the semi-final was a tough game. I felt really, I felt for South Africa, uh, Duckworth Lewis, but uh, we were fortunate where we end up going through to the final. But I think you, you know you are right. I mean, it was sort of those games against Zimbabwe. Uh, then we lost in New Zealand. It's just, you know, that momentum, we've just lost it a little bit and then we have to try and pick it up again. Um, And I think that's where it cost us a little bit, really. And, you know, look, you can't look back. At the end of the day, we lost, you know, we lost the World Cup. But, um, you know, as you're looking back and thinking what could have been different, well, uh, a few niggles and, you know, and a few bad performances, really, before the semi finals, I think um, might have just cost us a little bit.
0: You say you felt for uh, South Africa. I was reading a, a, an interview you did uh, a few years back and you, somebody, basically when it came through that South Africa needed 22 from one, one delivery, the dressing room went uh, went balmy and somebody had to just rein everyone in and say, look, let's just get out there. Let's bowl that last last delivery. Um, and then you went back to the dressing room, went balmy again. Who, who was the voice of reason in the dressing room?
3: God. I'm, I'm not sure, to be honest. I know we I know we sat in the changer and we were waiting, and then we were told uh, this is what uh, you know you know South Africa needed in one ball or one over or whatever it was, um, and then I think we started to get sort of excited. and Everyone said, "Well, we shut the door and said, you know, just calm down," and then we went out and played, you know, played the game, you know, sort of uh, said our sorries to uh, South Africa. But once we got back into the changer, and we were. We were celebrating. We were excited. <laughs> but it, <laughs> but, it, but, it, but it, yeah, but deep down, you know, you, you do feel you felt a little bit for South Africa because no team wants to come out, you know, to lose a semi-final in those ways, really. And I just felt, you know, if, if we played the whole game itself, uh, it would have been it would have been a tight one. It would have gone down right to I, I personally think right to the last ball. So, um, but it you know it's one of those things, and uh, um, you know we were fortunate and South Africa were unlucky
0: before i let you go um phil you know a, a wonderful career for england so many amazing memories but uh, i have to ask you about that 1995 adelaide te- adelaide test match wickets and uh, and that second innings 88 as well do you look back and think that there should have been maybe more of those innings from you you're such a wonderfully gifted stroke player um but uh, maybe those kind of innings were a little bit more few and far between to what your talent deserved i suppose
3: yeah, it was. I mean, you know, that's, that's the one thing everyone says to me, that I should have scored more runs. Um, and, I, and I just felt, you know, it, it goes back to how comfortable you feel in the, in, in the England side. And I always felt that every game was my last game. And I think, Tony, you only start being yourself and playing the sort of cricket you naturally do. You know, if, for example, you know, I was very successful. I scored 10 first class uh, hundreds in county cricket. I scored loads. I've got 10,000 runs in county cricket. So i was scoring runs in county cricket. Uh, when it came to test cricket, I just sometimes I felt my game was changed, you know, and you felt that you had to change the game. I, I don't know why. And I, the only answer, I, you know, people always say to you, what would you have done any different, if, you know, if you, if you had your time again? And I said I would have been more selfish as a, as a, as a batter, really. And, you know, and, and then play, and, but also uh, play my natural game. And my natural game was quite aggressive. And I felt that sometimes at Test cricket, uh, I sort of reined it in, really, which I wish I didn't.
0: Plenty of amazing memories to look back on. 1995 in Adelaide, and the test matches, the World Cup, and uh, yeah, just a celebration of that, really. So, Phil, thanks so much for joining us on the show.
3: Pleasure, an absolute pleasure. Thank you.
2: Well,
0: Kirsten was turned inside out in those three deliveries. What a start for England! Unconvincing. got him caught by philip defrauders and two wickets for devon malcolm and that is an authentic
4: quick rollers dismissal bold him pitched it up got his reward what a sight stumps
0: arrive three wickets for malcolm one for three got
1: him it's worked it nearly didn't the ball before
4: well, it
3: was very thoughtful bowling from Devon Malcolm to try around the wicket when nothing was working from over the wicket. Caught in. Caught in.
4: Grand thought. The end of McMillan.
3: This is definitely Devon Malcolm's day.
4: Oh, God, he's got six. What a day. What a day for
0: Devon Malcolm. Well, it's again. A great catch by Steve Rose. Wonderful piece of trigger there. One of the most fiery deliveries you'll see in a long, long time.
3: Terrific performance. Outstanding pace all day.
0: And another one. And another one. Eight
3: for Devon Malcolm. Another catch for Rhodes. What an incredible performance. Superb performance.
0: Bowls Nine wickets for Malcolm. The last Englishman to get nine in England was Jim Laker. What a performance.
3: Bowled off his pad. All out for 175, I must say, you know, standing performance by Devon Malcolm.
0: We're listening to the Cricket Collective with the Institute of Cricket. Delighted to say one of my heroes growing up, Devon Malcolm, uh, joins us on the show to look back at 1994 South Africa, 9 for 57 and all that, but also hopefully, Devon, to talk to me about what it was like just to be able to have the ability to bowl frighteningly fast because uh, this time last year we were in the West Indies in St Lucia watching uh, Mark Wood bowl what uh, many people said was the fastest spell of bowling by an Englishman since you back in uh, back in the 90s so uh, just just give us an idea us mere mortals what is it like to be able to uh, essentially terrify very good test batsman.
1: Yeah, but I tell you, you know what, cricket, when it's comes to cricket, you hear about great batsmen and all that business, but, you know, you hear about great spin bowlers. Cricket summarises cricket, fast bowling. Whether you're, a, you're an old man, a young boy, middle-aged, whatever, when you come into cricket and you hear about fast bowling, you don't care who you are or who the a batsman you are, you always be tentative. So that I always find as a young boy, even growing up, I always find fast bowling watch my heroes bowl, guys like Michael Holding, Dennis Lilly, um Thomson bowl, you know, Colin Croft and goes, guys, that was the most exciting part of the thing for me. Um, quick bowling, you can see the apprehension in batsman eyes and hopping around the crowd and everybody you know, exciting when it comes to quick bowling. And whether it's club cricket, you know, um, county cricket, international cricket, I find, you know, quick bowling is the most exciting part of the game for me. So, you know, it's in the blood, really. I just love uh, um, cricket and when it comes to fast bowling. Yeah.
0: I mean, a couple of those names you mentioned, Jeff Thompson and Colin Croft, they were nasty, weren't they? They were nasty. They, were, they certainly <laughs> appeared to be nasty people. You, you never appeared to be a nasty person.
1: Uh, no, I mean, to be honest, you know what, you you try to, you know, push a batsman back and, you know, try to beat them with pace and, you know, they're going to go for the hook in a way, especially when, instead you know, were playing against like, Rich is a very proud man and you know, you're not going to back down and, you know, it was one of those things I realized pretty close and we're not going to back down and as a quick bowler as well, you got to have the guts, you understand, you probably get your top edge or you probably get one really well and put you in the stand for six but... You can't on the ones quick bowler. You are the fire starter. If you won't be having the courage to ball quickly, you know what you're about. You know you can get the ball down there, get the ball in the right place. And you're trying to, you know, uh, um, beat the batsman with skill and pace, especially pace. I had express pace and you know, once you have that you gotta use it. But you know, myself as a boy or uh, as I said, growing up when it comes to a fastball, and even playing, you know, when I was playing county cricket, and in my, said in my early days, at Derbyshire, you know, in the changing room, when we're going to play guys teams like Hampshire, and you can see, you know, uh, um, pre-match game discussing the teams, whatever, you can see the the, the blood absolutely draining out of these battles, and just <laughs> hoping, let's go to Hampshire, <laughs> let's survive that game without being hurt. You know, at times they probably don't really mind being out, but... You know, Malcolm Marshall was a skill baller, balled very quickly, and you can see the fear. Oh, fastballing, thats you know it's got to be a tough job. So, fast is—you know—you get people, get get people, you know, um, you know, um, really up when it's come to cricket, no doubt.
0: Was that day in nineteen ninety four the perfect day? Apart from Goffey stealing one wicket off you, I mean, did you yeah. did you did everything? Did everything click? Uh, was there another innings or another day where it clicked to any better than that sunny day in South you, you, London?
1: You know, as I, people watch me bowl when I scone to cricket for Derbyshire, for England, especially England. When I bowl, I give it all. And, you know, I, I feel I bowl quicker. I bowl absolutely quicker. But, you know, you need everything to happen at that day. And, you know, I, I felt. I felt that game, I felt that game, something special was going to happen. You know, about when Philip De Freges and Goffey, you mentioned Goffey a while ago actually, they went in the night before and they slung, swing the bat and they, you know, you, you know, well. smacked those guys all over the park. And, you know, <laughs> you know I was fired up because they were brought back in that game to win that game. You know, they needed a match, win, um, a match winner, as, as I said. And, but there's something happened there, being hit on the head by Varnie De Villiers. I said, no, 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 no. That's, you know, I took it real personal. And, you know, the my, rest of my teammates, Goffy my captain, Arthur, the rest of the teams, Stewie, you name them, they were all you know, because I threatened the guys when I, when I got hit on the head said, come on, you can't let this happen. Do what you say you want to do to them. Yeah, and, you know, from ball one, but you know, you, you ended up, as I said, I ended up taking nine wickets in that game, but you know that, that first ball I bowled, that very first ball I bowled uh, to Kirsten, that was the defining ball I feel. You know, if ever I wanted a ball to pitch in the right place, at the right pace, and you know <laughs> the batsman just managed to get his nose of the way and it thuds into uh into Steve Rhodes' glove and the crowd went up and I keep saying, yep, I'm on here. You know, uh, I was in great rhythm and I know you know, these guys were going to have a torrid time because the crowd was behind me, all my teammates were behind me, and I know every little nick was going to be taken. You understand? So, um it was one of those days. I just felt, you know, something very special. And, um, you know, blood, how many years on, that's still a memory-making day. People still can relate to where they were when they watched that game. And it was a very, very special day um, for me, you see. And, um you know, winning the, winning the match as well, that was extremely special because, you know, to be honest, a, a lot of people even said, OK, that 9 for 57, I took 10 wickets in that game, but that wasn't my best bowling analysis for England, you know. My, I reckon my third test match um, for England, played in Trinidad way back in about 1990, I uh, took um, 10 wickets in that game as well, but it was 10 for probably a couple of runs less than uh, my analysis at, uh, at the Oval. But, yeah, as you said, you know, most of the time I get out there and bowl, you don't care how flat the pitch is, I always, you know, run and try to bowl quickly. But that particular day in South Africa, it really sums up my career. And what I've been trying to do all the while, I'm running run to play cricket, you know?
0: If if there's one regret, though, uh, Devon, when you look at a player like Mark Wood and the way that the England management team have really made sure that he is fully fit for specific games. They've backed him, they've invested in him. Um, and not just Mark Wood, but all the fast bowlers now. I think there's a realisation that fast bowlers, if they're to bowl fast, they need to be protected. Do you uh, do you feel that um, you would have been able to achieve even more if you were playing in these
1: times? I feel that way. I reckon I'll probably bowl 150 miles. <laughs> <laughs> in my mind anyway but yeah I mean you know you're playing your era to be honest and I'm really glad to see I mean obviously at Derbyshire way way back you know my captain then Kim Barnett he had the foresight way back to said, okay Derbyshire had a battery of fastballers and the best way to get the best out of your fastballers was to rotate. England never even thought of that, you know, when Derbyshire were doing those things. But with the uh, uh, um, central contracts and stuff like that, because obviously when I played earlier on, the TCCP used, your county used to own own you, basically. And, um, you know, you go to your county grounds and you play cricket match after cricket match, county game after county game, one day games, you finish. And if you go off to play a game for England, absolutely naked. But the way things are now where, you know, when you're an England player, that's what you concentrate on, your fitness, everything is geared around that. And the way the fast bowlers are treated now and even Wood, you talk about the spell, Wood uh, uh, put up in in, in, in in the Caribbean last year. That was absolutely fantastic. Great pace. And the games he played, you probably look on his record and say, look, he hasn't played a hell of a game in the year, but when he turns out, he can give it at all, you understand. But uh, when we played, and everybody was in the same boat, really, we had just to you know, go play country cricket, not being looked after. Um, but even guys like Anderson, right now, yes, Anderson was a very skilled swing bowler, but he could play for another two, three years the way he's been managed, you know. And you, you can choose him on, on proper pitches and the proper conditions, and he can just play international cricket. But as I said way back, we hadn't, we, you know, we had no choice. If you come to say you got to play four or five championships on the game and throw it from you to a, a, a test match, that's what you do. And England didn't have the foresight then to say, okay, you know, obviously, um, bowlers especially need resting leading up to a test match, but we just didn't have that luxury at all. And, you know, although I ended up playing, you know, 40 test matches for England, I feel, you know, if I had the protection. Or if cricket were the way it is now, you know, <laughs> you know, I feel I could do a lot better. And probably a lot of the guys in my area as well would, would, would say the same thing. But, you know, the way yeah. things are at the moment, it's absolutely fantastic. The bowlers can concentrate on their fitness and they have their coaches. They have everybody to, you know, um, check everything out and make sure when they walk out on that field, you know, they know they're representing England and they're 100% uh, um, fit and ready to roll in 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 all ways, really. So, um, but you know, you play on hope. Um, you know where we are right now. Us guys in the olden days, in the past, set a bit of an example. We put in our you know disgust with the system and our difficult times when we played, and it carry on to where it is now. You understand? But um, but that's the way it is. You know, but. You know, I always find it as a privilege. Every game I run out there and play Brings and every game I had Brings, it was an absolute privilege. I love every one of them. And, you know, uh, I remember we to go back, going back now to uh, um, the South Africa game. And remember, after I, I took those, uh, those nine wickets and they were walking off, of, off the field, and after my captain, then he just took over the captain, and he ran across and gave me a pat and said, Dev, you realize what you've just done. He said, you know, I don't believe I'll ever. You know, if I, if I, you know, in my lifetime, I'll ever see a single player dominate a game as much as you do. And I had to turn around to him and say, you probably wouldn't believe it. But every time you throw me the ball or every cricket game, I walk out there on the field to play for England. I have it in my mind I'm going to take all nine or all 10 wickets. <laughs> I understand. But, you know, so was it. But as I said, the way things are now, my, you, I would be so, you, you could be so much focused on your test cricket, focused on your job. And the whole the whole circle would be complete, really, because you've got all these systems and you have you've got help from everywhere. The video analysis and all that business, it's all there. And you mentioned even you know going back to the going to the Caribbean for the first time again. You mentioned 1989-90, where we won that test match, the famous test match in in, in Jamaica, where a uh, run it was it was the West Indies were cruising actually. You know the press actually wrote wrote us off, and uh, yeah. Managed to uh, run uh, Gordon Greenwich out, and Angus came in and bowled extremely well, and we won that won that uh, uh, um, famous uh, f- famous Test match there. So you know, um, but it's one of those things you, you work on your game and you just try and move things forward and 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 and, and that really, to be honest.
0: Oh, it's brilliant! It's brilliant memories. Uh... Devon, and uh, it was a privilege to watch you play and uh, a privilege to have you on the show, on the Cricket Collective, here on Talksport 2. A celebration of players who may not have been born in England but uh, came over here, made England their home and then ended up representing the country in cricket and improving the sport and cricket in general uh, throughout uh, throughout its history. Let's uh, hope that continues as it seems to be doing with the likes of Joffrey Archer and Chris Jordan. Thanks so much for listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2. Next week's show... We'll feature an interview between Neil Manthorpe and the Flower Brothers, Grant and Andy. Fascinating stuff. Please join us. But for now, thanks for listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan.